Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast that dares to imagine sequels to your favorite films and movie franchises. A journey into the realm of cinematic possibilities. With your hosts, Adam, Jeff, Justin, and Jeremy. Let the adventure begin now. Welcome to this episode of Sequel Quest. We are very excited to have you. This is our Valentine's special episode, and uh, we got some surprises for you, absolutely. Uh, today, we are going to be discussing the 1987 Rob Reiner film, The Princess Bride, starring Carrie Elways, Robin Wright, Mandy Patinkin, Andre the Giant, Chris Sarandon, Christopher Guest, Fred Savage, and Peter Falk. So Wait, who's we, Chris Sarandon? Chris Sarandon is Prince Humperdinck. Oh, is it really? It oh. is. Yeah, I know. It's like, who is that guy? Exactly. What else yeah. have we seen him I in? I just know their names. I mean, most people don't know who who the heck Wallace Shawn is, but if you say, um, you know, his famous line, then they know. Yeah, absolutely. It's inconceivable that you would not be joining us today, but you are. And we, like I said, something special is going on today. Uh, Jeremy and Justin are taking a break. And we actually have some special guest hosts with us today in the spirit of romance, in the spirit <laughs> of love. Jeff and I have brought our wives on board with us to give us a female perspective, give us a, a good, you know, kick in the pants if necessary. First off, allow me to introduce the woman to whom I have given my heart. I know, isn't this so romantic? We're starting off like that. <laughs> Let me put it this way. When we got married, she made sure that I understood that what is mine is mine, she said, and what is yours is also mine. Love. Love and romance. No, I'm just kidding. But the one thing, uh, we, you know, she does not want, if, if we're going to say something that, you know, is now hers that belonged to me previously, she does not want my vast collection of terrible films. Although the one On that VHS. We, on VHS. On VHS. <laughs> but uh, with that... Allow me to introduce my wife, Kristen. Say hello. Why, hello. <laughs> what are your thoughts about being on the show this week? It, it's a little exciting, very interesting to see what it is that you do every week when I'm asleep. <laughs> Late night recording <laughs> sessions. But also with that, Jeff has someone he would like to introduce. Yeah, this is my wife, Judy. <laughs> hey. Hi, Judy. <laughs> So glad to have you here. So, uh, what what was your There's first? There's two th couples differences in a that nutshell. So sums it up. Although I do have to say, the one thing that I will throw out, and I I I feel like we might have said this, and it might have gotten cut in all of the the nonsense of our pilot episode, is that in a lot of ways, Judy is way more qualified to be on this podcast than I will ever be. She has actually has a master's in media and um, went to Ooh. school to study film. So she she. She kind of knows what she's talking about, and she will dumb it down so that she can have conversations with me. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a good it's a good match having us uh, her guest host with us today. Yeah, way to make me feel insecure, uh, Jeff. Hey. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Now, Judy, 
I will say that just so you understand, Jeff mentions you frequently on the episodes. I don't know how many you've listened to, but listeners will know Jeff's always like, you know, my wife was telling me, my wife mentioned. <laughs> so very, very frequent. Uh, I have noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> he, he depends on you for all, all the uh, witty and yeah. uh, informative information he provides to us. As informative ever, information. That's usually <laughs> what we get. Yep. Yep. Is, is that a double positive? What do you call that? Informative information. <laughs> Just redundant? That's a, that's a, that's a popism. That's a... <laughs> uh, well, Jeff Jeff has big, huge, and now I have <laughs> informative information. So I'm just curious now, as we're getting into The Princess Bride, when I think about this film, it seems to kind of fall into the realm of uh, basically a film that everybody's familiar with on some level, generally speaking. Like, it's kind of like Star Wars or a Christmas story. Like, it's run across TV at some point. You've seen it. You know a line or two or 12 from the movie. But, uh, you know, Judy, for example, what is your experience with The Princess Bride? Um, well, this is a movie that, as kids, we watched, like, over and over and over. Like, I grew up watching this movie I don't know if it was the first movie I saw. It might have been like the second movie I saw. So um, definitely something I've seen a lot and grew up watching. And like we would, me and my brothers would like act out our favorite scenes, you know, like little skits. So um, yeah, and I just watched it like last week, not necessi- not even for this podcast, just with friends. <laughs> it was, we had a friend who hadn't seen it. We're like, what? You need to watch this. So um, yeah, so I've seen it a lot um it's just part of like my dna i think at this point so but yeah it's a great movie there's something for everybody so um yeah i can't say enough about how fun it is so yeah. and it still holds up from when i was a kid yeah we have a true fan i like it i like it now jeff what about you where did you come in with the princess bride uh somewhat similar although this one was it wasn't like it wasn't necessarily one of our our family's like staples, but it was one that like, like you said, Adam, it seemed like it was on television every single Saturday. And when it would be on, like I I would always flip by it and watch it. It wasn't one of those that when I started watching it, I'd have to watch it to the end. Like there are some of those movies, it can be 2 AM and I see flight of the Phoenix is on. I'm staying up until five to watch the end of it. Like, it's just that kind of a movie for me. This wasn't that, but I would always stay on it for a little while. Maybe see one of the, uh, yeah, my, fam- my my favorite scenes. Uh, I know like Judy was talking about when her friends came over um, last weekend and showing it to her the first time, there was even the one, what was the one line? Oh, it was with Miracle Max and the end of the Miracle Max scene. Like I had to just poke my head in just to hear, have fun storm in the castle before, you know, going off into my room. So um, yeah, it's definitely, you know, obviously even though it doesn't necessarily grab me all the time, it is like you said, that, that kind of like part of the DNA that just is, is there. It's just kind of like a, like a force of nature, I guess, where it's, it's, you almost can't even categorize it's it anymore. Unstoppable, it's unstoppable, this film. Yeah. It's, it, and it, it's the funny thing, like, like Judy was saying, I think that's such a great testimony to it is the fact that when someone who grew up in Germany says, Oh, I've never seen this movie. We're still shocked. What? You've never seen the print? What? No, that's insane. Like, it's just the expectation that everyone sees it, everyone loves it, you can quote it, and people will know what you're talking about. Yeah, now... You know, I'll say on on my part, I was introduced to it. You know, I think a lot of people see it with their families. It's probably one of those kind of family films everybody can enjoy. But I was I was about six or seven, 
Uh, you know, it's probably like 1988. It was new on VHS. We were at a family reunion. So I'm sitting there with all my cousins and my aunts and uncles, everybody. And somebody popped in this movie. And like, even before the movie started, I was on edge because TriStar Pictures, which is, you know, what it kind of falls under, they have this, uh, this logo that's like for very far away, you see this ghostly white horse like eerily galloping towards the camera. And then at the last it's a second, Pegasus. yeah, it turns into a Pegasus. Exactly. These wigs sprout yeah. out, and then it flies at you and it disappears. And I was just like, <laughs> what is happening? Ghost horse, you know, like what is going on here? And so I was like already scared. And then as the film continued on, I honestly just got more and more terrified. Like it was not, <laughs> it was not an enjoyable experience for me at all. Um, I mean, there's, you know, obviously you have, uh, you know, screaming eels and the R-O-U-S's, those rats of unusual size. Uh, but then you also have that seed where Christopher Guest as uh, Tyrone, the six-fingered man, goes and, and sucks the life out of Carrie Always as Wesley, who's the main character. It hooks him up to this machine, and he just lets out this, like, death rattle, scream, whatever you're going to call it. And I just, I was done. Like, I blanked out at, at the point of that movie, because I'm just like, I cannot, why are they doing this to me? <laughs> and obviously, like, over the years, you know, as I started appreciating it, you know, the one thing I could hold on to was, you know, Inigo Montoya, you know, he, he was noble, he's got his famous line, you know, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. You know, just like to me, like I could hang on to that at least. But afterwards, I was just like, okay, well, I'll check it out. And it is obviously just like <laughs> amazing now. I love it as an adult. It's kind of like the Batman 1966 series where, you, you know, you two did for one thing as a kid. And then as an adult, now you can appreciate all the humor. But I'm just very curious here because, you know, we, we, we quote a lot of, you know, this film is quoted fairly frequently in our house as well. You know, the one we, we probably come up with, Jeff mentioned Miracle Max, you know, but we, we always just, you know, it's like, he clearly said to blathe, which we all know means to bluff. <laughs> he was probably cheating at cards and he lost, you know, liar, you know, wife coming in. And but I just love when she's like, I'm not, you know, I'm not a witch. I'm your wife. But after what you just said, I'm not even sure I want to be that anymore. You never had it so good. <laughs> like I just loved the little turn to the camera. <laughs> you know, so anyway, but now I, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. Obviously I own it. I watch it. I love it. But Kristen has a very kind of interesting story just in terms of this film and her history as well, which is different from all of ours. That is true. Um, I didn't actually see this movie until I was in college and people reacted to me the way that you react to others saying, I can't believe you haven't seen this. It's amazing. And so I was like, okay. So um, I'd actually read the book first. And I don't know if you've ever read oh, the yeah. book, but the middle section, um, it's all this like deep political social commentary and it was really, really boring. And so I skipped that part. Um, <laughs> it, it's been a few years or I could tell you more. So I read the book first and I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be that'd be a pretty good movie. Um, and then I tried to go and watch it several times on campus and it was always sold out. And I was like, why is it always sold out? This is an old movie. <laughs> and so I finally saw it and it was good. You know, it was good, but. It was good. My roommate had the soundtrack <laughs> and she actually tried to play it while she was sleeping, but it's like intense. And there was the music from the Cliffs of Insanity. You know, where it was like, nah, 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 nah. 
And it was it was very <laughs> stressful for me at night. <laughs> it made me anxious in my sleep. So I, I just, yeah, I think it's interesting. And I don't know how many people realize that there was a real book. like yes, you know, a the, real actual book. Yeah, the grandfather's right. reading a book that he says is by S. Morgenstern, but it was actually written by a, a famous screenwriter named William Goldman. And so he wrote it for his daughters. Like he just went to two of them and they said, he's like, what should, what should my next book be about? And they're like, do what about a princess? And I was like, do what about a, a bride? Okay, the Princess Bride. You know, that he just started writing. Yeah. So, and it was like written in 1973. They tried to make it like several times. Like so many studios, like they went bankrupt, or then studio heads changed, or whatever. And the film just never came together until you know around 1986. You know when Rob Reiner finally got a chance uh, to to be the director. Where do you guys fall on Rob Reiner films? Jeff, Judy. Well, I know even before that, I know Judy, because Judy, you read the book too. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I read the book and it's really funny because kind of like Kristen was saying, there's all that political stuff. Like I remember it being written as an inside joke almost where William Goldman is like, this is the book my dad used to read me as a kid, The Princess Bride. But when he read it to me, like the Peter Falk character, he would edit out all the boring political stuff. That's right. So I'm rewriting it for you guys and I'm cutting all that stuff out. So you have a chapter where it's like, this would be where he would talk about Florence economy, but it's boring. So I'm skipping it. And that would be like the entirety of the chapter. So it's, it's just really funny the way the book kind of, at least as I remember, I haven't read it in a long time. So Jeff, we, we have married very literate, beautiful, wise women. What's wrong with us? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah. Um, well, cause and I know like the, and I don't know if you remember, uh, Adam, there was, uh, because Adam and I used to work for Disney, and when we worked with Disney, there was one. Oh gosh, I can't remember her name. Uh, there was the one gal who had an injury to her eye, so she would always wear an eye patch, and she loved this book. She was okay on the movie, but she carried this book with her everywhere she went, and she would tell people about it and read it over and over and over again. And I think what's so interesting, kind of like Judy was saying, which is is kind of the the shame I think about, like, well, I guess kind of with the Hobbit, but especially with the um, the Wicked, uh, 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 I guess they haven't made a movie yet, but the musical, is that the book of Wicked is written very kind of like meta, where it's designed to be kind of like, let's take a step out and look at this from the outside. So it's the same thing with this book. It sounds like the book is done almost like the movie, where it's like a story being told to somebody else. So it's like the narrator's putting himself in the story. And I think that's 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 a really interesting way to write a book, and it's an even more interesting way that they they turn that into a movie. And I love, yeah, that dynamic where you've got, you know, interrupting like, oh, is this that kissing part again? Can we just <laughs> skip back? And it, it, it gives it such an interesting twist, I think, that, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a... You, you don't get to see that very often, turning a meta book into a meta movie. Right. And and just getting back to, to Rob Reiner, as I was mentioning before, the director, this was only his third film. Now, he went on to, you know, When Harry Met Sally and all these other films. He's, he's pretty famous. And he'd been an actor before on All in the Family in the 70s. Um, but he uh, his first film was one of my top, you know, five films of all time, which is This is Spinal Tap. So... Oh, oh yeah. my goodness. <laughs> he had to bring this up. Ah, oh, it's a great, great, great oh, film. The amp was an 11. 
<laughs> yeah, it's the thing like you're saying, Adam, is that even even yeah, this is his third movie. He still hasn't made a whole ton of movies. It's crazy that he's such a a, a Hollywood heavyweight. But yeah, I mean, this is one of the very few movies because I think he's he's made less than ten films, I believe, as a director. Yeah, it's more about his just his influence in the industry, right? He's just kind of involved right. and, and very a part of that. But but he was just he he was the perfect guy because that first film, Spinal Tap, was a mockumentary. It was a satire of the rock and roll lifestyle. His second film was a romantic film. Uh, essentially kind of a romantic comedy called The Sure Thing. And so it was basically taking romance and taking satire and putting them together. He knew how to do both now. So now he gives us The Princess Bride, which is, you know, uh, aside from like the casting being pretty much perfect across the board, like everybody's fantastic. But like you guys said, just William Goldman wrote the book. He also wrote the screenplay. So it, it stayed right. pure to what it was from the start. Um but I, uh, I, I guess when I, when I think about The Princess Bride too, like I actually, like even more so, I think over the years, it's only growing in popularity. I went to a, a Comic-Con here a couple of years ago and I actually, I'll put this up on the, on the Twitter and on the website, but I actually ran into a guy dressed as the Dread Pirate Roberts, you know, yeah. so like he, he was ready to go. I'm sure he got a lot of action at the, you know, on the Comic-Con floor there, but... <laughs> But it was just, you know, a great, a great representation. <laughs> Here's the fandom out there. But I'm curious, you know, from a female perspective, is is Wesley, is he that romantic character that every girl is dreaming of? Like, no, no particular opinions, just knows he loves her and he's willing to fight for her. Like, where, where do you come in on that? <laughs> I'd say he's uh, pretty much a dreamboat. <laughs> Judy? <laughs> Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the last time I watched it, I was kind of maybe slightly less impressed with their actual like dynamic of love because it is kind of like, why do they love each other? Like no one has done <laughs> right anything of substance or like, it's just kind of like he's there, she's there. So love, obviously. But, um, you know, Carrie Elwes, he's, he's cute. You know, he's dashing. He can sword fight. So, you know, you can kind of get why he likes, why she likes him. But I don't understand why he likes her other than that she's beautiful. <laughs> like she has... Um, yeah, she, she's not really that interesting actually. So, yeah, well, it, and speaking of the sword fighting, the other thing that I learned recently, I thought was amazing is that Carrie Owens and Mandy Patinkin actually did all of the sword fighting, like, especially that epic, you know, battle that they have above the cliffs of insanity. That's all them. Like the only thing that was not them was when they do kind of that that gymnastics routine with the spinning Slips and stuff. Yeah, but otherwise, Which, it, I, yeah. I do want to throw out, and I, I don't know. I, maybe I got to throw this out when we talked about the Matrix, but there's a couple of moments for me in my movie collections where I just kind of like see that's how you do it, and like for me, that still. In, in all the movies that I think I've seen, still greatest sword fight that I have ever seen. And it's not because it's that spectacular or that flashy or that, like, like all the moves they're doing are so impressive, but it's the way that they sort, like, theatrically, it's the way that it sword fights and that it, the ebb and the flow and then, like, one person's getting the advantage and then the, the, the drastic shift of, like, I'm not left-handed and, oh, my gosh, and it's blah, 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 blah. Because then you see, like, you know, George Lucas and now J.J. Abrams coming up with these lightsaber fights. And they go, especially J George Lucas, makes them all flashy and they're doing flips and they're doing all that sort of stuff. But there's no theatrics. It's just 
I'm going to try and swing this thing as fast as I possibly can. And for me, that's not what makes great sword fighting. Like this, this actually is. Yes, and I, I, I would agree. I mean, it, it's just from an entertainment perspective, it's the most entertainment you're going to get out of a sword fight in addition to just the action. is It's well done. It's, it's you know competent sword fighting i happen to be an expert on fencing and sword fighting so i think i'm qualified <laughs> to make such a statement no. but um, i think with that uh why don't we go and uh, jump into our synopsis here We're gonna have uh one of our guest hosts pulled directly from imdb why don't you tell us who wrote this synopsis as it states at the bottom and then uh give it to us Kristen. um this is written by a contributor named scott nisbet when a young boy falls ill, his grandfather pops around to visit him. To cheer his grandson up, Grandpa has brought a storybook, The Princess Bride, a tale of the love between the beautiful Buttercup and the besotted Wesley, a love cruelly interrupted by Wesley's tragic apparent death at sea when seeking his fortune. Heartbroken, Buttercup has sworn never to love again, but accepts the marriage proposal of the rich and handsome Prince Humperdinck, heir to the throne of Florin. But death is no barrier to true love. And in a story filled with exotically accented swordsmen, big-hearted giants, genius kidnappers, sadistic torturers, vile swamps, rodents of unusual size, the dread pirate Roberts, and a somewhat embittered miracle worker, the love between Wesley and Buttercup twists and turns on a path filled with adventure. Will the true love of Wesley and Buttercup win the day? Will Inigo Montoya find the six-fingered man who murdered his father? Will Humperdinck's evil plans come to fruition? And more importantly, will Grandpa be able to tell the story without any of the yucky kissing? <laughs> oh, Mr. Nisbet. My goodness. He hit that thesaurus hard, I will tell you. He, I suppose so. Although he did ask questions that he didn't give us the whatever. We've seen it, so it's fair <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, I'm just as we as we get ready to go into our pitches, I'm just curious, like go around the, the table here. What is everybody's favorite character in this film? Like who who is the character that you connect with? The most, I, th I think either we're going to be surprised or we're going to be like, ah, well, that's I two it. different questions, though, isn't it? What? That you connect with as opposed to your favorite. OK, that well, let's, let's just go with favorite then, Jeff, whatever that means to you. Let's what, what do you want to start? Well, because for me, it would be two separate ones. So, uh, I mean, I guess I'd have to. Whew, it's so it's so tough. <laughs> I mean, it's hard not to say Inigo Montoya because I'm the exact same way with you, Adam, where it was I think every boy wanted to be nobody wants to be Wesley. Come on. Everybody wants to be Indigo. That's mm -hmm. that's the one to be. But for me, like, I guess just I guess Wallace Shawn, because of all of his other stuff and just the fact that like finally like he's getting recognition for being just as he is and he's the same in every single movie but we love just that wormy whiny little like oh he's so wonderful and yeah that would just he he did he did more different than i think anyone could have expected judy how about you oh man at the risk of sounding like we are totally agreeing i was gonna say fazzini as well like <laughs> He, all of his lines are like quotable and partly because the writing is so good, but also just because of Wallace Shawn, like whatever, you know, his voice, I don't know, his, 
his size, everything like makes it that much more funny. And his whole, that whole speech he gives like almost in one take, I think, where it's about, you fell victim to the classic blunder. Like <laughs> that's just gold. Like no one can beat that. That's great. When we watched that the other day, I made our friends watch that scene twice. Cause I'm like, <laughs> we just got to watch this and then you can go home. Um, so yeah, that's, he's just like, and I even asked my friend, like, wait, have you seen this movie? She's like, I don't know. And I'm like, was there a guy saying inconceivable? Do you remember that? And she was like, no. I'm like, then you have to see this movie. Because if you've seen the movie, like, if you can't remember anything else, you remember inconceivable. So I feel like that's, he, like, makes the movie. He He's the bow on the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll say for me, like, I, I'm always in the situation of, uh, like, he has you know, probably the, the least amount of screen time, but Billy Crystal as Miracle Max. That was mine. You stole mine. <laughs> we must be married wow. or something. How about <laughs> that? We love old Jewish wizards. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Why do you love him, dear? Let's just do this together. <laughs> well, well, I love Billy Crystal. I love everything Billy Crystal is in always forever. I love Billy Crystal. <laughs> I think I I just have wow. I, I have a history of just loving old Jewish grandpas like just it, <laughs> and feel, grandmas for that matter yeah and grandmas why not and so like to me like I just that the whole attitude of it all is it's just great where it's like you're sort of know it all you're sort of supportive at the same time you're you know making underhanded comments <laughs> and, and things it just it it's there's just so much going on in every statement that you're just like wow it's 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 wonderful and. Uh, yeah, so yeah, Miracle Max wins the day for me. Yeah, and and I love, and he's all out for revenge. I just, I love him. <laughs> and just to throw out, which might be not little known, but may maybe widely known facts, I guess, but about each one of them is that one that, um, I guess Wallace Shawn was completely not what Rob Reiner was looking for, for Vicini. He was, he was looking for something completely different. But then when Wallace... Uh, auditioned he just that's it there we go and they went in a completely different direction because of Wallace Shawn's uh, depiction and then with Billy Crystal they said that apparently when they filmed Miracle Max's scenes Rob Reiner couldn't be in the building because he couldn't stop laughing at every single line that Billy Crystal (laughs) would say so he literally left and wouldn't come back until they were done filming I believe it yeah (laughs) that's great well I think we are we're about ready now to jump into the pitches you kind of all know where we stand on the film, but what are our ideas? Where do you take it next? What is pos- possible in this world? So, Judy, you told us that you had been preparing it for quite a while, so why don't you start us off? Okay. Um, well, I will say that my story, as you'll see, kind of seeks to correct maybe the one flaw that my present self sees with the film. So see if you can pick up on it um, as I'm telling it. So um, this takes place about 20 years after the last movie ends and Buttercup and Wesley have continued to live happily ever after. Their love is like the perfect love that keeps on going. Um, And he has retired as the Dread Pirate Robert. So they go back to live on that little farm and they're just kind of in this little enclave of just the perfect life together and they have a daughter um, who's named Rose or something. So, um, but she's actually kind of bored now. She's like 18 or 19 and she finds her life is really sheltered because they just, you know, Wesley and Buttercup have no need for society. They're just so in love and 
they're kind, they're the kind of couple that the kids are always rolling their eyes at, going like, "Ew, mom, dad, that's gross." So, um, so she just lives with them and kind of longs for a more exciting life. She knows the story of, you know, how they, how her dad rescued her mom and everything. So she kind of wishes to have an adventure like that for herself. And the only kind of joy she has is that her father has taught her how to fence. And so she's really good at fencing. And so into this quiet life comes um, Inigo Montoya and his son. And for the past 20 years, he has been the Dread Pirate Roberts. Because um, you kind of get that little mention at the very end of the movie by Wesley to Inigo about um, how we would make a dread, great Dread Pirate Roberts. So he comes to visit them. They've remained friends over the years, and um, his son, who is Diego, and Rose kind of have somewhat grown up together, and Diego has always, like, loved Rose and um, been infatuated with her, and she's kind of, like, ambivalent. But um, So they come to a, for a visit because Inigo wants to tell Wesley that he's retiring. He's planning to retire as the Dread Pirate Roberts, as is the custom, and he's going to pass on the mantle to his son, Diego. Um, but while they're there, Diego and Rose are off and they kind of, there'll be a scene where they get to fence and you kind of see that she's actually way better than him at fencing. And, um, he kind of admits that he's not really into the whole idea of becoming a pirate. Um, he's not, that's not really his deal, but, um, she's kind of like, what? Like, why wouldn't you want that? That sounds great. Um, and so Inigo and Diego leave, they go to their ship. But then Rose sneaks off in the middle of the night and catches up with them and stows away on the ship. So she and they don't find her until they're way out to sea. It's kind of too late to take her back. So um, Inigo is kind of like, okay, I should take you back because he's obviously, you know, wanting to, you know, not do anything wrong by her parents. But before he can take her back, they get attacked by, I don't know, what's the police like? the sea police at the time, whatever, like some armada attacks them <laughs> um, because they're pirates, obviously. So they're always in danger of being attacked. So they get attacked and Diego gets captured and is brought back to um, the castle to be arrested or whatever. So they mount this um, rescue plan. And so um, Rose convinces Inigo to get, again let her stay because she says that she can get into the castle disguised as like a washerwoman or something. Um, and so he agrees to the plan. So, and I figure at this point there could be a really good fun scene where she's, you know, dressed as a washerwoman and going through the castle. And there's kind of like the original movie, some chances for cameos by some famous comedians who live in the castle or whatever, um, especially like fellow washerwomen. So we could have, um, you know, uh, Melissa McCarthy is like a washerwoman, you know, she's in there just having a random scene. So, um, so she manages to get Diego out of the, you know, the dungeon or whatever, and they hook up with Inigo and they're heading back to the ship. But in the process, they realize that it was, um, Humperdinck's castle. So he's, you know, we bring back Humperdinck. And so he kind of gets to them before they can get back to the ship and he's going to arrest them all. But then he realizes who Rose is, that she's the daughter of his old nemesis and, and keeping in with his cowardice, he's too scared to do anything that would upset Wesley. He's like, no, you got to take this girl back. Like I'll keep the rest of you. And so he's trying to 
tell Inigo, like, you can take her and you can leave, but I'm keeping your son. But of course, you know, Inigo's not going to accept that. So he attacks and they kind of fight their way out of that situation and get back to the ship. But Inigo is like mortally wounded and, you know, basically dying. So Diego has the knowledge to sail off in wherever they go. And so they go back to Miracle Max. So we get to have Billy Crystal back and Carol Kane. So, um, yay. So they get to see them again and Miracle Max heals Inigo. Um, but he also kind of takes a shine to Diego and like, um, invites him to be his apprentice in the miracle business, um, which Diego actually really wants to do, but he can't, you know, say no to his dad you know, has all this expectation of him becoming the Dread Pirate Roberts. So he says no. So they all leave again, and they're heading back again to see Wesley and Buttercup to return Rose. But then they're attacked again by the Armada, and it's going terribly, lots of good sword fighting. But then at the last second, another ship comes up, and it's Wesley. He's, you know, coming after his daughter. So then you get, um, which I always wanted to see, Inigo and Wesley really sword fighting, like top-notch sword fighting, but on the same team. So, you know some cool fights there. Um, so in the end, they kind of win and there's probably another opportunity for Humperdinck to show up and be a coward and then flee. Um, and then the end, um, everyone talks it out. And so it, it's decided that um, Diego is going to go and he's going to go back to Miracle Max and become an apprentice. And Rose is going to become the new Dread Pirate Roberts. So she is going to take the mantle um, passed down to her. And um, kind of at the same time, she realizes that she does love Diego, but their love story is going to have to wait for another movie or something. So it kind of ends with, you know, the next generation taking on these new roles. The end. Now that's a movie that I would go see. <laughs> yeah that, was, that sounded like a lot of fun yeah definitely keeping with the uh the spirit of it all so i don't know if i did pick up on what you thought the flaw was in the film or do we have to do we have are you gonna hint at it a little bit more for us or do we have to guess um well for me the flaw is that you know especially watching it now um buttercup has like no agency as a character um, she does nothing. <laughs> like, just <laughs> things happen to her. There's like only one moment in the entire movie where she makes a decision and like does something about it. It's like she jumps in the water to escape, you know, Fazzini, and she ends up in the water with the shrieking eels. And so it's kind of like she does nothing then really to save herself, but it's kind of like her one moment of like, I'm getting out of here. So for me, my whole problem is that Buttercup is just kind of like, oh, someone save me. Oh, someone tell me what to do. And she does nothing the whole movie. So this was me trying to like create a female character that actually has some agency, makes decisions, has influence on the story, um, but is still like, you know, she still gets to be part of the love story. I feel like that's kind of something we don't always get to see where you either have the female character who's like in charge, but unlikable, or she's a love object, but not necessarily like, you know, having, I don't know, like, it's just never like a gr always the right match to me. So, um, so I want to see a female character in this story being funny, being active, kind of like with the boys, um, because, yeah, in the first movie, you just have the one female character and she's just kind of blah. So yeah. that's what I was trying to correct. Definitely refreshing to have a female character who doesn't need to be saved. See, and that that's why I didn't pick up yeah. on it. I'm like, no, 
princess. You got to save her. That's what it's all about. Like the guy's perspective. We're like, ah, po- powerful title, female like, characters. The princess bride. That doesn't know neither of those words say butt kicking like female. <laughs> it just says. Warrior, warrior princess bride. So if Zena, if Zena had been a warrior princess bride, then we That's would have true. understood. Yeah. So Jeff, why don't you. Yeah, but she oh. spends that. <laughs> Oh, I was just going to say, because, I mean, but she spends that whole second, like, 20 minutes of the movie in the original where Wesley is dead, essentially. But she's like, he's coming, so I'm just going to marry you. He's coming, so I'm just going to sit here. And she's going to kill herself, but he's coming. And it's kind of like, yeah, like, you know, why don't you sneak out or something? So that's kind of my deal. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeff, were you uh, peeking at... At Judy's notes? Or do you have something wholly original here? That's what we're going to wait for. No, so tell I us did. what well, you got. and I did. Because now when uh, uh, when the Campbell Smiths came out to visit the Popes uh, uh, in November, uh, Judy did read me her her entire synopsis. So uh, I tried to yeah stay stay away as much as I could. Although I did kind of lean towards the whole Diego idea. Although at least for me, Indigo and Diego for me would get confusing. But I I, I don't I mean it, if we all pronounce it like Fred Savage, where it was Indigo, then that makes it a little. Actually, no, that makes it worse. I don't know. But anyway, so for me, um, first off, again, I love the meta part, so I would want to keep the meta um, part of it. So in the sequel, um, I have Fred Savage now, grown, again, about 20, 25 years older. Actually, I guess it doesn't matter how much older he is, but the story takes place 20 20 years later. But so now he's the – I don't know if he's the grandpa. I kind of figure he's more of the dad at this point. And so he's the dad who is now reading uh, the story to his daughter. And his daughter, though, is um, is more of kind of like a tomboy. So she's kind of rolling her eyes because he brings out the Princess Bride, and she's like, seriously, we're going to read this one? Come on. That's the one your dad re- or your grandpa read. That's still – you know, there's all those kissing parts and blah, blah, blah. And she's just not into it. And so he's like, okay, like – what about this one? And then whatever the second title is called. So this one takes place 20 years later, uh, and Wesley and Buttercup are now married, and um, Humperdinck uh, uh, flees in shame after the last film, um, abandoning his kingdom and his crown, which leaves, in some strange sense, it leaves the princess Buttercup as the heir to the throne. So Wesley and uh, Buttercup then become the new rulers of Florin, uh, they have three children, and the oldest daughter, so she would be, I don't know, late teens or something like that, maybe her, her early 20s if it's later than 20 years. Um, but um, it's it's kind of like, as the eldest princess, she's the one that has to get married first, like that's it falls on her, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and her parents, because of their story, they really are driving home this idea of like, no, you need to like – there's that perfect love that's out there and the blah, 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 blah. And it's like love, 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 love. But the daughter is not into it at all. She 100% wants to marry for money. She wants to marry for power. Like that's all she wants. And so she's like there's this really horribly boring prince of um, what is it? Gilda um, that she's like, no, no, no. I'm going to marry him. That's going to unify the kingdoms. And then eventually we will be ruler over the entire blah, 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 blah. And so she's really like power hungry and everything like that. So Wesley decides uh, to bring his old friend in, uh, Indigo, who, uh, again, has been the Dread Pirate Roberts, um, and covertly arranges for him to kidnap 
the princess in order to teach her a lesson. So the first mate on the ship um, is like this dashing troublemaker who is kind of like maybe the heir apparent, but he's always like he's 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 a no good Nick. And so um, uh, but she when she gets kidnapped, she catches uh, the first mate's eye. And so he kind of keeps making moves. But of course, he has no power, no money, no nothing. So she is not interested in the least. So meanwhile, the rulers of Gilda, who the, again the the prince was supposed to to marry um, their daughter, um, they attack the ship because they hear the Dread Pirate Roberts kidnap the princess. So they go up, they attack the ship in this big huge battle. Uh, Indigo dies, and they capture the princess and they take her back to Gilda. So then the first mate decides, I'm going to rescue her. I'm going to prove to her, like, what a, what a big deal I am. So he goes to, to rescue her, but fails miserably. He gets, like, beat to the, to the, the near the point of death. He just, he's, he's not strong enough to go do this. So he um, comes up with the idea that he needs a miracle. So he goes back, finds Indigo's dead body, brings him to Miracle Max, and says, Max, you know, you need to bring this guy back. And, um... But I kind of see, like, Max, for some reason, needs this one ingredient that um, only the king and queen possess. So they have to go to Wesley, and then they kind of bring Wesley into it, and then they find out, like, oh, my gosh, this is where my daughter is. So then Wesley, the first mate, and Indigo together kind of, like, cobble together this rescue plan. So they go and they storm the, uh, uh, storm the castle, rescue the princess... <laughs> Um, bring her back and then of course the first mate has proven his worth or something so that they end up getting married in the end and then i kind of uh rather than the whole because i mean with fred savage the whole arc was that like he was kind of okay with the kissing but i think it's more i think for me it would be that the the daughter the fred savage's daughter that's being told the story she's not at all interested in the um, in the princess until the end, because then she starts as the story is going on, she starts actually wanting to know what happened to the princess. So she's kind of like, yeah, more engaged in the girly part, so to speak. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I like your taming of the shrew angle here where you're, you're throwing this girl like total headstrong, not interested in lovey dovey. Let's just, this is all business. Like that's, this really is very romance novel esque. Yeah. I could see right. you making big well, money. It sadly ends up being the opposite of Judy's where rather than having this, yeah, this strong independent female, it's more the like, it's okay to love the princess because, because she's girly and that's fine. So. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that was that was fun though. All right, Kristen, what do you have for us? Well, I have not been preparing since November. That's for sure. <laughs> Long time in the making, folks. This episode. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah. So I wrote down my um my very poignant thoughts while Adam was taking our children to the babysitter. Um. So the, so here we go. So in my Princess Bride sequel, um, it takes place pretty much immediately after the, the previous movie ends. And um, so Prince Humperdinck, who's obviously kind of a criminal, gets locked up. And so the kingdom is left without um, a competent ruler. And so they bring in Prince Humperdinck's distant second cousin. Um, so he comes <laughs> to take over. <laughs> Laugh at me. 
he's laughing at my sequel already. <laughs> um, and he's young and he's handsome, um, but he's also a little flamboyant. And his name is something like Julian or, or something like that. Um, and so I like the idea of seeing all the characters that we know and love in kind of um, a new role under this new administration. And so New King Julian, um, he has no use for um, brute squads and, and armies and things. And he's all about love and, and parties and, and everything is wonderful. <laughs> and so uh, Miracle Max gets restored to his previous position at the palace. Um, Humperdinck kind of hangs out in jail and, you know, you go and visit him every once in a while, see what he's doing there. Um, the torture tree is now like a day spa and <laughs> the albino does skin treatments and offers some chiropractic care with the, with the machine machinery down there. You know, he can stretch you out. Um, and Wesley and Buttercup, um, you know, they're married and they're happily living on their little farm. Um, Inigo Montoya, you know, he does become the Dread Pirate Roberts, and he's happily pirating. Um, <laughs> since the Brute Squad got kind of dismantled, Fezzig now owns a flower shop, and there's this big giant lady who comes in, and he flirts awkwardly with her, and it's very <laughs> sweet. And so it's kind of a time of um, peace and this idyllic happiness. Um, the new king, he like throws parties and he's kind of over the top and ridiculous, but everybody likes him. You know, he's very fair and, and nice. And like I said, a little flamboyant. Um, so the neighboring country of Gilder kind of sees that this king is kind of a wimp. They call him a pansy um, and that the country is grossly underdefended now. Um, so they decide to invade and, you know, there's a scene where they try to get some insider information from Prince Humperdinck in prison. And so you kind of don't know where that's going. Um, and so the king, he doesn't know what to do. So he calls all his advisors, including Miracle Max, my favorite. And Max says, well, let's, let's get, you got to get the old gang back together. And so, you know, everybody comes back and they come up with this kind of grand plan of course, using um, the reputation of the Dread Pirate Roberts um, to kind of frighten Gilder and kind of make him back off. And so the King of Gilder, he's he like, oh, I don't want to go up against the Dread Pirate Roberts. That's, that's inconceivable. <laughs> so he kind of offers a truce. But the king has to marry a princess of Gilder. Um, but King Julian... He, he's not real fond of girls. <laughs> um, and so he has like this great internal conflict because he does want the peace between Florin and Gilder. Um, and so he's getting advice from, uh, from everybody. And Miracle, Wax, Miracle Max tells him essentially, you know, you, you got to be true to yourself. You'd be dishonest if you were um, marrying somebody that you didn't have those love feelings for. And he's like, yeah, I know. And so he's going to tell the king of Gilder and then he goes and he meets with him. But it turns out that the king's daughter is really been in love with none other than Prince Humperdinck for years and years. And, and so he agrees to let Humperdinck uh, move to Gilder um, and marry this princess. And so Humperdinck is so excited. He's getting out of prison. Um, it was an idea that he had, you know, when he was in prison. So he maybe, you know, planted that idea in the King of Gilder's head. But 
He thinks it's going to be great. He thinks he's going to be marrying the oldest hot princess who's like super gorgeous and be in line for the throne. But then he shows up and he's actually marrying the young hideous princess (laughs) who uh, doesn't have a lot going on and is not interesting or smart or awesome in any way. Very unfortunate. He's going to marry the unfortunate princess. And so the movie kind of ends with him like realizing um, what a terrible mistake he made when he could have conceivably perhaps um, married someone as wonderful as Buttercup in the beginning. But now he's he's stuck with somebody who's who's going to be terrible. And that, and that is the end of my story. Wow, that was really unexpected. This is unexpected. The lo- <laughs> love adventures of the royal family of Florin. Like, yeah, what, there you go. What's going on here? That was. By the way, I just have to say, <laughs> did anybody else think that Prince Humperdinck also was not fond of girls? I, I really thought he and Christopher Guest's <laughs> character, the six-figured man, had a thing. Does that? No, did nobody else ever no. see that? No, there was, was like, no. He was he was too jerky. When they never even had a moment. Or... They did, he, but that whole thing where he's like, you know, would you like to come down and see? You know, and he's like, Tyrone, you know, I love to watch watch you work, but you know, I have my wife to kill. I have you know, you know, Gilder to blame. You know, like play all that stuff. You know, so like I don't know. I felt like that was their moment to say like, hey, we usually have a thing huh. together that we do. We watch torture together. And that that I don't know. I was reading into well, it too much. I guess. I think you. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, mine is more like of a coming of, of age and understanding. Yeah. No, that was, that was really interesting though. I, I, I I don't know why it made me laugh that he's like his distant second cousin. I don't know why that's funny to me, but like (laughs) distant relations of royalty, but no, I, I, lots of unexpected turns there. So that was fun. All right. Well, it looks like I am up. Um, this is really interesting because I feel like I kind of have some elements of uh, Jeff and Judy's pitches in mind to a certain extent, uh, especially Judy's. And I promise we did not uh, trade notes here, uh, but, it, but it's kind of gender swapped and you're going to see some other influences here. So uh, allow me to, uh, to share with you my thoughts. Um, I'm calling mine the Princess Bride 2 or just like the Pirate Bride is essentially what I've, I've named mine. But it says, uh, after the events of the first film, Wesley and Buttercup sailed away in the Dread Pirate Roberts ship, taking Inigo on as a crewmate. Fezzik did not come with them, as it is explained, he found a village of large women with whom he will have many large children. And a year after setting sail, the couple give birth to a boy named Christian. They decide to settle down on a Caribbean Island, giving the mantle of the Dread Pirate Roberts to Inigo. Uh, we see that Uncle Inigo visits the family every year, bringing Christian exotic gifts from his travels and challenges him to playful swordplay. Also during this time, uh, Inigo may himself marries an adventurous woman named Lucinda, with whom he has a daughter named Luz. Christian watches over the years as Luz becomes a beautiful young woman and secretly pines for her. Now approaching the age of 18, Christian dreams of a life beyond the island. Wesley and Buttercup try to make him realize the joy of their peaceful life and that adventure isn't all it's cracked up to be, but the rebellious youth wants more. He begins building a raft, which Wesley forbids him to use and dismantles, fearing for Christian's safety. And during a visit from Inigo's family, Luz and Christian share a heartfelt moment on a cliff at sunset where Christian explains his desire to see the world, while Luz declares she's had enough of the world and wishes she could just stay in one place forever. 
Christian begs her to, quote, stay forever with me. And they profess their love for each other in a tender kiss. Their moment is interrupted by a slightly older man named Kyle who boasts that he is being trained as the new Dread Pirate Roberts and that Luz will be his bride. Kyle goes on to say that Luz is too good for him and that Christian couldn't possibly give her the riches of the world like he's planning to do. Besides, Christian's just an island monkey boy. And the two suitors have a scuffle and Christian is humiliated. And Inigo shows up to save Christian, chastises Kyle, sends him back to the ship, then gifts Christian a sword saying... All a man needs the love of a woman and a blade with which to defend her. Luz reaffirms her love for Christian. The two kiss and exchange intertwining heart charms for necklaces they agree to wear as a symbol of their love. Now, the next morning, Christian finds that Luz and her family have left in the night, and he's heartbroken and sends a love note to her through his trained bird, Misha. And a, a day later, Misha returns with a blackened shard of wood with the words, save us, cut into it. Fearing that his love is in danger, Christian launches the raft, which he has secretly rebuilt, and sets off to find the ship of the Dread Pirate Roberts. After a few days on the ocean, Christian comes upon the charred wreckage of a ship and finds Inigo tied to a floating piece of the mast, cursing and crying. When asked what happened, Inigo tells Christian that Kyle got impatient with his training and betrayed him by joining forces with another pirate named Don Fuego, who attacked their ship, murdered Lucinda, and kidnapped Luz. Going mad with grief at the loss of his wife, Inigo swears revenge on Don Fuego and begs Christian to help him save Luz and avenge his wife's murder. Christian and Inigo build a makeshift boat out of the wreckage and set sail while Inigo prays to Lucinda to guide his sword and sail uh, to the ship of Don Fuego. Meanwhile, Luz is forcibly wined and dined by Kyle on board the ship as he guides Don Fuego to the hidden treasure deposits of the Dread Pirate Roberts. Luz continually rejects Kyle, blaming him for the murder of her parents, who she believes are both dead. But on the advice of Don Fuego about being a man that puts a woman in her place, Kyle tries to force Luz to love him by imprisoning her and starving her, saying, When your heart aches for me the way your belly aches for food, I'll free you. Inigo and Christian wow. are visited by mermaids That's who intense. agree <laughs> to help guide them to Don Fuego if they can answer three riddles. Will the pair only get two of the three correct? One of the mermaids, Lila, who has eyes for Christian, agrees to help any way she can and gets a whale to carry their raft to the desired destination. <laughs> Traveling along <laughs> with them, Lila flirts with Christian along the way, trying to win his affections. On the boat, a crew member named Philip, I know I have a lot of new characters here, who was loyal to Inigo's Dread Pirate Roberts, but feared for his life in the siege, sneaks food to lose. He is caught by Kyle, beaten, and sentenced to a week in a net hanging from the mast. Meanwhile, Christian sends out Misha the bird to find Luz and deliver her a note that says they're coming to rescue her. Luz sends back her necklace to confirm that she is still alive. Lila the mermaid becomes incredibly jealous at the gesture, steals the necklace, and leaves them <laughs> abandoned. But with the enemy ship visible and only a few miles off, uh, they see it anchored in a nearby island that Inigo recognizes as the site of the treasure. Fueled purely by passion, the pair take off swimming towards the boat and are eventually find their way on board while the crew are busy pillaging the, the treasure hoard. They free lose but are spotted by Kyle, who attacks. Inigo maneuvers his former or outmaneuvers his former apprentice, just barely incapacitated. 
just barely incapacitating one of his arms and cutting off an ear. Then Don Fuego shows up to take on Inigo and kills the weakened warrior. In a rage, Christian attacks Don Fuego, but is easily overpowered, and he is nonchalantly handed off to Kyle to be finished. While, while supervising uh, the treasure-loading, Don Fuego turns his attention away from them. Just as the disfigured Kyle has Christian over the bow and ready to kill, Lyle of the Mermaid leaps from the water and drags <laughs> Kyle into the depths below. Christian then picks up Inigo's sword, prays for his power, and catching Don Fuego off guard, defeats the pirate, banishing him to the island. On his way off the boat, Don Fuego steals a sword from a crewman and tries to stab Christian in the back, but is stabbed himself by a dagger from Philip and then falls overboard dead. Luz and Christian return to Wesley and Buttercup's island in Don Fuego's ship, but before going ashore, Lila returns the necklace and wishes them well. They hold a funeral for Inigo and Lucinda, then discussion of where they go from there begins. Christian decides that he would rather live forever with Luz than risk losing her in a world of adventure. Philip is made the new Dread Pirate Roberts and sails the ship away as Luz and Christian kiss on a clifftop at sunset. Wow, you had like a little wow. Harry Potter in there. A bird <laughs> delivering the messages. That's nice. <laughs> uh, now wait, who was Don Fuego again? I missed him. Don, Don Fuego his? is just, he's another like rival pirate. And Kyle, oh, okay. who was the first mate being trained as the new De- Dread Pirate right. Robert someday, had te- had basically teamed up with him. So Teamed up with Don Fuego. Don now, is, Fuego. So Don Fuego is like some sort of Spanish yeah. scallion? So some Spanish, oh. some Spanish tyrant uh, of the waves, yes. <laughs> Obviously, I'm trying to capitalize here on, on some Pirates of the Caribbean. Those kids love their... Right, <laughs> with mermaids and whales and whatnot. <laughs> also a little <laughs> more pet, fantasy. Pet birds, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but I just, I when I heard Judy's pitch, I was like, oh, so like really it's kind of like just gender swapped idea here of of that uh, that child that wants, you know, something different than what they're, yeah. they have. Yeah. But um, yeah, so obviously, you know, we have we have quite a few themes going on here and running throughout we have like the complete return bringing everybody back like in Kristen's pitch but then making the focus on on a totally new character for the most part which is interesting uh you know kind of with mine too just basically a whole cast of new characters and just you know one or two of the of the diehards or the uh the old stalwart characters yeah I mean mine is really more it's not necessarily about new King Julian. I mean, it kind of is, but it's the way everyone, all the other characters that you've already met influence him and help him to do the right thing. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, also just like you said that, that it picks up right where the last one left off. As yep, opposed basically. To these have, yeah. Extended differences. Well, and it, it kind of seems like, like, so like with yours, Adam is that yours is basically, following the dread pirate roberts is that that's it's kind of the dread pirate roberts story mm-hmm. which which yeah i mean a, a sequel can definitely go in that direction where it felt like the other ones maybe followed wesley and buttercup a little bit more so i think that would be the first in mashed it all together um yeah well so that was the question because yeah because my thought initially it, it sounds like that's where you guys are all on i just felt like their story's done they had their great love and, and everything so now you take it who's the next person that gets to have that you know 
Um, but I, you know, for example, like I really, I love, you know, if, if and cause I, you know, I understand mine's probably off the table here a little too far out there. Uh, but, but I love that all of you, you know, incorporated that. So question is then, is it a son or a daughter? Cause I think Jeff and Judy, you guys both did a daughter, right? So for, for this next generation, it's kind of taking over. Well, and that's where I feel like if it's going to be a sequel, I'm, I mean, a sequel to The Princess Bride, I think that it should be, I mean, especially if it's going to be, like, if we are going to do that, the meta thing, where it's someone reading a story to somebody else, is that, yeah, it's really hard to tell, like, a fairy tale about a a boy. It just doesn't, uh, it's just, Mm -hmm. there's something a little bit different. But I do like, I don't know, I mean, I like, I like the, uh, um, one way or the other, putting the 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 female, whether the female is the main or the secondary, putting them in a in a position of yeah action happening, like being forced into action as opposed to like Judy said, just having action forced upon them. That could give it a different spin than the first one. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, and even like agree. Jeff, you had the you had the the father reading to his daughter, so I think if you have the female character and you have the daughter hearing the story, like that's a lot of great, that'd be a lot of great commentary as, as well. Like whether it's a tomboy or not, like you would still get some, like just, yeah, that different female perspective. So I like, what and if, then, and that brings it back to the original as well, of like right. reading a story. Well, and cause that was, and that was the thing too, that I was thinking about. Cause then it's, it's so strange in doing something like that, where you have to still play to your, audience even though they're playing like you've got two audiences essentially you've got the audience in the story and then you've got the actual audience and so it's like what you know again if you if you had a a stereotypical girl that this is being read to what if instead of being bored by the kissing scenes she's bored by the sword fighting oh sword fighting can we skip this part like (laughs) i don't think the audience us as the audience might appreciate that but it would definitely be a different spin to kind of do it that Mm. way yeah, so uh, I, I definitely, I definitely like your framework, Jeff. I think I think we definitely need that. Just just to tie it in, like you're saying, the the, the father reading to the daughter. Um, so uh, the the other question that I have then is, so are we are we going to take it where we want her to really get something out of it, or you know, like, or because yeah, like you said, Fred Savage's basic idea was just okay. You know, I could deal with the kissing. I'm fine. In her case, in your pitch, Jeff, you were saying, oh well, by the end of it, you know, she kind of thinks it's okay to root for the princess, which again, I I, I think that works. Um, unless anybody has a different thought, but the the then we take it to say, okay, now um, within the story what is the arc of this princess? Which one are we kind of going with? Is she the, you know, the one that like you were saying, Jeff, that isn't interested in marriage, but is more business minded and combining the, you know, the two countries or, or is she more flip it around? Mm -hmm. What if we flip it around from that entirely? And to be, cause I mean, these days, I mean, all, I mean, as we know from working for Disney, all the craze seems to be about the princesses. So what if it's like going along with, I think that was your was it the, the name of yours Adam was the 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 pirate bride or something Yeah but so what if it instead instead of it being the tomboy who needs to be okay with being girly what if it's the other way around if it's the one that yeah that she only wants to hear 
the princess and the blah 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 and it's just like well this is a story about a pirate pirates uh, i don't know yeah kind of like that like because it'd be like oh pirates are boys and i want a princess and she has to have magical powers or whatever and then she can realize maybe that it's like oh well this princess has powers like she kicks butt like yeah. then you learn how cool that is the pirate- and, and I- are we making princess? the princess? Are we making the princess the idea that or, you know this character, this daughter, is she somebody who longs for adventure, or or again is she the person who is more you know just like kind of already, I don't know, already sees where she wants to kind of take her life. She doesn't feel repressed. She doesn't you know she is in control, kind of like Jeff did. Um, right. What well, what do we like? And that's where I kind of feel like again, if we are going to, and that was because that was always the weird thing about Buttercup is that Buttercup wasn't actually a princess. Uh, she was going to be if she did get married to the prince, mm-hmm. but up until that point, she was she she didn't, so she wasn't actually a princess. But there was still that potential she was going to be a princess and a bride. So it's kind of like in this one, if she's like if she is the the daughter of indigo then there's no princess unless there's that that like she has the opportunity to become a princess and she doesn't want it or something like that there's got to be some princess here or else it just makes no sense okay where where what do you uh what do you think judy where where do you kind of see us taking that then is should she be this daughter um, of Wesley and Buttercup, or is she the daughter of, of Indigo? Indigo. Um, well, I kind of liked, yeah, how Adam, you had it where she was kind of like trained from birth, like your your daughter of Indigo, and she had kind of seen everything, done everything. Mm-hmm. She would kind of, yeah, already be a pirate. But I also liked in um, whose story was that? Um, well, whoever had that buttercup inherits the kingdom just because so then they could have a son maybe who would be the prince so it'd kind of be that situation again so so wesley and buttercup become royalty we can we can set that well i just had the thought what if what if instead what if we use Kristen's as the backstory what if she's actually humperdinck's daughter and that Humperdinck does get married to the ugliest woman in the kingdom as his punishment, and this is the daughter who doesn't want to follow in dad's footsteps. She wants to be a pirate. Huh. Oh, that's good. Okay. And then so, oh, cool. so, so would the love interest be Inigo's son then? He's the, he's the one who's being trained to be the new Dread Pirate Roberts, and they meet up somehow. Like, she is the princess who escapes, at, and, hi, and like in Judy, she hides on the pirate ship, and she goes out with them type Oh, I thing. could see that, yeah. Yeah. Or it could be Wesley and Buttercup's son, and then because of Wesley's background, like, or maybe she's not interested in because she wants to be a pirate, kind of like Judy. I feel like Judy, that was your thing, right? Where okay, so so do we want to say do we want to say Wesley and Buttercup then they just they continued on the pirate lifestyle? Is that what happened then? And then they had a son, so that the Dread Pirate Roberts is still a part of this narrative for them. It's it's their life. Is is that kind of what you're thinking, Jeff? Well, at least for me, I, I wasn't think I was more thinking that idea that like I don't see Indigo getting married. Like that just doesn't as the Dread Pirate mm. Roberts, like you don't really have time for a woman other than <laughs> a pirate woman, I guess. Or I mean which I guess was how you had it. Um and I mean well I don't know. I guess for me at least in my mind, I can see one of two directions. I either see 
it, either one, I see Indigo as the Dread Pirate Roberts because I feel like that's where they left that because Pirate or uh, uh, Wesley kind of gave up on on piracy. Is that to have like it's their son? It's their son that she either is infatuated with or maybe he's infatuated with her, but she wants to go off to be a, become a pirate and maybe like he uses that like well my dad knows a guy and like I can get you to become a, like oh that's his, yeah. His man. So or, and it could yeah. be the same thing where you know that son, if he's Christian or whatever his name is, he he also is longing for adventure because they live this provincial farm life, you know. And so it's that same conflict that he was having in my story. So she she is essentially royalty that wants to get out. He's a farm boy that wants to get out, and then they know the Dread Pirate Roberts. And so then you have off. Aladdin. Yeah, exactly. I know. That's that's what I was just thinking. I was like, this is total... Or, or, or Beauty and the Beast. I mean, yeah. like provincial life. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. That Any Disney reference. <laughs> <It's always. laughs> but no, but I, I think that would work really well. So then, yeah. So then, and like we say, like, uh, you know, Indigo comes regularly to visit, you know, so he knows oh, he's going to be here in a week. And now that Christian has met the princess and he's all into her and, that you know, they have whatever their meat cute is. And then he convinces her, you know, hey, you know, we could we could do this. And uh, and obviously Pr- Prince now, I guess, King Humperdinck is not going to be happy about it because it why is his right. daughter with, you know, the, the son of his enemy. That's true. Yeah, exactly. Well, what if instead, like adding an extra, like what if like Christian or whatever Wesley and Buttercup's son is, what if like he's not really that into being a pirate, but it's more just because like again this is an in for him yeah, for the yeah. for the and so then he does follow her in like to be a pirate but he's just like horrible at it <laughs> and i could add just like his well awkward, and, and what we know, could do is what he wants to be is like was said he he does want to be a wizard he wants to be mir- so he goes to miracle well, max yeah. all the time so that's his real thing so he gets to use dentist, okay. but i guess that's, <laughs> that's a little that's a little too santa claus coming to town or no rudolph's red nose reindeer right <laughs> Yeah, but no, I think that's awesome because, yeah, then he has like his illusionary powers or his mystical powers that he could use at some point. He sucks at sword fighting and all these other things, <laughs> but he could use his magic, you know, to, to save the day at a certain point. That'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> okay, so, and then, you know, but like I said, then Humperdinck, I, I see him being kind of the antagonist or, I mean, do we have something where... Like is Don Fuego in this? Like, because if they if they Where's take off, conflict? if they to become yeah. pirates, what are they what are they doing while they're out on the ocean? You know, so they have rival Don Fuego coming in and attacking, and that could, that could be pretty fun. Or and we then, could even do like Don Fuego is trying to like seduce um, Humperdinck's daughter or something like. Yeah, that. Yeah, no, I'm sure. Yeah, like like he could come to try to take over the ship and then seize her, and he's like, ah, you know, like. Give me your daughter. I will spare your lives. <laughs> you know, and then. <laughs> well, yeah. Then you're, you're kind of combining like Adam's John Fuego character with his Kyle character. So I think yeah. that works if he's kind of like a little creeping on the <laughs> maybe slightly younger girl, but he's right. also trying to like, you know, take over the the pirate industry or whatever. So then you have a lot of reasons to hate him. You know, because it's good to have a. Nice, unlikable. Yeah, and then Humperdinck sends out the Navy of Florin at some point, you know, to... Uh, Gilder. Oh, Gilder, sorry about that. No, no, and Gilder was who they were... That was, that's, that's another cameo that oh. I guess it's a little more than a cameo, but the, their, their head of the guard with the giant sideburns, 
He is so like <laughs> so subtle, fabulous. but I just I I, I like his. He yeah. is oh, hilarious. Oh yeah. yeah he's just... <laughs> Jeff, can I just say when I see I that I guy, he for some reason he he looks like a relative of yours to me. I'm like <laughs> he he could, he could be like your uncle, not you know not that he looks like you, but he kind of looks like a combination of your dad looks and like your sister to me. Like sister. he could be. <laughs> they like, have red hair. Yeah. None of them have oh, facial gosh. hair. Well, um, especially not my sister. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Kelly. Hi, Kelly. Anyway, um, and we've just lost one more listener. <laughs> but no, I, I like this. So um, I, I think, yeah, I, I, I like how we've kind of put it together here where it's, uh, you know, we, we have enough of the old, but we have some of the new. And, it, you know, obviously we, we, we do a little bit of the here and there, the follow up with the existing characters. Like we say, Fezzik, you know, definitely got his large woman and had uh, his. We do need to definitely throw like some sort of a, a shout out because Andre the Giant, I mean, that, that, yeah. that's a big. Yeah, he, you, have, you have to mention him, but obviously he couldn't be in it, you know. Um, Which but, just to kind of as, as, as food for thought or fun fact or whatever is that the, the cool thing that if you've ever seen, there's an A&E documentary on uh, uh, Andre the Giant, which is absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the amazing thing that everybody said is that the, the, the Fessig in Princess Bride, like that was Andre the Giant. That was actually how he, he was just kind of being himself. Like he was that, even though he was seven foot six and 450 pounds, he was just like the nicest, kindest, like the, the gentle giant. And he was so witty, just like Fessick is always making up these rhymes. Anybody want a peanut? (laughs) That was, that was Andre. He was that kind of a guy. Well, that's great. And by the way, I'm just, I'm just going to throw this out there, random movie trivia, but you know, Billy Crystal was in a film several years later in the nineties called my giant. If Andre the Giant had lived, he could have been in that movie with Billy Crystal. We could have had a reuniting of the Princess Bride cast. It would have been awesome. Uh, Okay, well, I I mean, I think we pretty much have a a story together here that that satisfies everyone. But let's talk about casting a little bit here. So who are we kind of looking at with like when we talk about first off, you know, uh, the son of Buttercup and Wesley then. So who, who is playing this this Christian character? Who who's a young up and coming actor that you feel's got the charm? He's the Butterfield. The... Who? What's his name? Spider Man. Oh, the new Spider Man kid. Oh. Ace, yeah, no. Asa, Asa. Too young. <laughs> well, I don't know. He's the young one. These Andrew guys. Garfield. Too old. Oh, no, but okay. he plays young. Yeah. I can see him wizardy. Yeah, he actually could. <laughs> That's, yeah, Lanky Harry and, Potter style. Especially if he has that. If he has that goofy long hair that he has, that he gets made fun of on Jimmy Fallon. Or no, uh, uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, no, I, I, I like Andrew Garfield for that. I think he, he's, got, he's got that charm. Kristen, why, why are you not on board for... I'm, I'm getting facial reaction here. Tell us your thoughts oh. on Andrew Garfield. <laughs> I don't know who that is. He, he was Spider-Man in, in the latest Spider-Man He's the movies. other Spider-Man. You say that like I should know who that is. <laughs> Uh, we went to see them together. It's okay. It's okay, dear. I, I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> Who who's on your mind? Zach Efron? No. <laughs> no, but I, yeah, he's too. Especially in this last movie, he's way too buff these days. Yeah. No, but I I think I think Andrew Garfield works because again, yeah, he's not dashing, but he's charming and he's like. He's lovable, you know, so I think that works. And then if we're talking... Although, oh, the other ahead. one, although he might have the capability of stealing the show, would be Michael Senna. 
He would be my other Michael Sarah. No, no, no. He yeah. he's not hunky enough. No? He's he's not close enough oh, to being attractive. <laughs> I don't Does think. Does he need to be hunky? Yeah. <laughs> he Judy's right. Be, I don't know, awkward. Well, especially that with awkward. like two gorgeous parents, oh. right? Right. It just seems likely that you would have a, a beautiful child. You have an Andrew Garfield. <laughs> Now what yeah. about what about the daughter here? So we're talking about the you know the pri- the princess. Who who could play that here? Who's one of those fantastic actresses? Michelle Rodriguez, come on! <laughs> She's like forty. Someday we'll get her role. Jeff's always gunning for Michelle oh, Rodriguez. Um, yeah. Let's see. <laughs> like I'm trying I'm trying to think because we don't want to go too young. We're definitely not looking for Disney Channel style princess like she could be you know talking like mila kunis or yes uh, maybe closer to that maybe Um, like a jennifer lawrence i know adam's not a fan (laughs) well we we just try to shy away from people who have every role like channing tatum we pretty much never cast him (laughs) (laughs) which is a shame he's got enough work (laughs) you guys So, what a shame. Yeah. No Channing Although Tatum I, in this movie. I do movie. have to admit, Jennifer Ugh. Lawrence, if we're talking about the princess who doesn't want to be a princess, wouldn't she be Jennifer perfect? Jennifer Lawrence does kind of fit that bill. Yeah. Okay. Well. Plus, I know who she is. That's true. <laughs> That's always a plus. Mm-hmm. That could be an interesting mashup, though. I like. Oh, well, I had two thoughts because there's, I don't know if you guys would know her, but the an actress called Tatiana Maslany. Oh, from um, Black, right? She's on a show called Orphan Black where she plays like eight different clones. So she does action, comedy, like everything. Mm. So um, she could do it. Or I was thinking of that girl whose name I can't remember okay. um, from Sucker Punch. You know, the girl from Sucker Punch. <laughs> the, the and the, girl? she was in Lemony Sticket. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are you uh, talking about Baby Emily Doll? Browning. Emily one? Browning. Oh, okay. Yeah, the girl who played Baby Doll. I didn't see it, but yeah. I mean, she wasn't given much acting to do with that film, so I don't know what her her capabilities are. But I mean, she's certainly like, you know, an attractive, you know, woman, so she could, and she could play young. So, I mean, that could work. Um, But I I think I would probably lean towards this orphan black actress if you're saying she has that kind of range, because it's definitely going to be the tone of the film. She's kind of on the older side, isn't she? She's kind of like late. Like early 30s, maybe. But that's what I'm saying. Andrew Garfield is too. Um, you know. Yeah, but is but he? he looks like he's 12. If it's that kid that played Spider-Man, he does. I mean, he plays <laughs> a high schooler in Spider-Man. Wait, 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 wait. What, I mean, what, guess... what if we just bring Emma Stone in for this? Can't we just can we just reunite uh... them? They have so much chemistry. Emma Stone, Andrew Garfield, back at it. No. She's a little. I don't see her. Uh, Lussie. Right. Do you think Emma Stone? I don't think so. I think she's got a lot of chutzpah. Um, I'm channeling. Could could you define that? She's a shiksa. No, I'm, I'm trying to. Could channel you define that also? Miracle <laughs> Max. Yeah, she doesn't have a princess Eva. Really? No, she doesn't. Right. Okay, she's she's blue collar. Oh, what was um? Well, now she's too old. Wait, who was uh? Who was? Was it was Jennifer Garner alias? Yeah. Who was alias? Yeah. Jennifer Garner. Yeah. Now Jennifer she's too Garner. old. Way too old. Well, she's like fifty. Yeah. Isn't she 50? Is she really? Well, she's not that old, but she's, she's probably 40-something, yeah. She's, uh, she's, uh, she's in her 40s. Something or whatever. Yeah. Her movie? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I don't, again, I don't know her work, but 
I like the idea of this Tatiana Maslany actress. Um, sure. I mean, she is, she's incredibly versatile, so I would yeah. see, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, too. It's hard to tell from that show how old she plays because she plays so many different characters. Yeah. So it's see? like one's a punk and one's a Russian and one's a British and one's a soccer mom. And <laughs> so she, she could well, be 16. Well, I just 16. looked it up. She's 30 years old. Oh, see, oh, so she well, could do right. it. Yeah, that's that's not a big deal. Sure, because 30's like 18 in Hollywood. These days, yeah. No, so wow. sometimes, yeah. sometimes. Can we, can we agree on this actress? And uh, we'll just take Judy's recommendation. We think she's got uh, it. Okay. Now, next up, yay. I guess, is Don Fuego. So who's going to play Don Fuego and be kind of creepy? But I, I imagine he's going to be, you know. I can picture somebody in my mind, but they might be too old. Actually, they can be. Oh, no. Don Fuego. Oh, but he's not Spanish. Oh, what? Because we, we got into a kick this last week on, uh, on, uh, on, uh, oh, gosh. And now his name is gone. On Skeletor. Um, oh, Frank Langella? Yes, Frank Langella. He could reprise oh, wow. his role from Cutthroat Island. <laughs> He's but that's played the thing about Don Fuego. Don Fuego can be any age. And it's the older true, he yeah. is, the creepier he is. Mm-hmm. And but, I mean, could he, could he buff like out like he did before? Like, I don't know. Does he have well, it in him again? I don't know. It, it was a long time ago. I'm trying to think of a guy What about going into... <laughs> Well, going into left field, um, what about Channing Tatum? <laughs> oh, sorry. Wishful thinking, Rob dear. Well, Rob Lowe. Well, Rob Lowe. Now it's it's silly though. Like it's intentionally silly if you put Rob Lowe. But isn't the movie intentionally silly? Ultimately, like the no, Princess Bride. I don't Bride. think it is. It's a spoof. Yeah. No, I, see, I don't think it's a spoof. I think it's 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 different than a spoof. It's because everybody in it takes it seriously. Like Billy Crystal is 100% Miracle Max. He's not a spoof of Miracle Max. He's not making fun of Miracle. Like that is how Miracle Max would behave. And and that's where for Rob Lowe it'd be kind of like what was his, like when uh, when uh, uh, Tom Cruise was in uh, um, Tropic Thunder, mm-hmm. where it's kind of like oh it's Tom Cruise we're supposed to think this is ridiculous. I don't think so though. I don't think Rob Lowe is not the yeah. megastar that has a definite persona. I feel like so recently because of all his comedic work, like like he is just he's kind of showed us that it's like okay you know what because I think he has like two shows coming out. Uh, right now on, that are on TV, you know, that are, or is that one he's already doing? I think it's called The Grinder, And then he's got this other one, like Friends at the End, or not Friends at the End of the World, but like You, Me, and the Apocalypse. He's in that, like, right. and Parks and Recreation. So I don't know. I actually think Rob Lowe's a good suggestion because I feel like, again, because if you want to even believe that the princess might be tempted at all, he is a good-looking older man. So, so it would kind of give a little bit where... <laughs> The Christian character could feel threatened. He's like, "Oh, look at this guy," you know. And him not being Spanish, Jeff, could actually be the joke. <laughs> so he comes in as Don Fuego, but he has no accent. Again, that doesn't but... seem like that doesn't seem like a Princess Bride joke, though. To me, really? Where, okay. Well, but it, where is it didn't seem like the, Yeah, like you said, the casting was so perfect in the first one. There wasn't any of them where you're just like, "Come on, Andre the Giant isn't actually that strong." No, you fully thought he was that strong. Yeah, mm. I don't know. I don't know. Who else do you got? But well, you, what about so, yeah. um, Alfred Molina? Ah, oh, he's always good. Doctor Octopus from Spider-Man, dear. Any recollection? Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's kind of. Yeah. 
Chocolat. Did you see Chocolat? He was the mayor. The, the skewered guy from Indiana Jones. Yeah, from Raiders of the Lost Ark. I would always get behind yeah. Alfred Molina. There you go. He would, he would definitely get the creep vibe going. Yeah, no, he, I mean, he always gives great, still- great performances <laughs> in that way. Yeah. Always a creeper. <laughs> Ooh, what about what about uh, if we? I guess he's not younger, but Antonio Banderas. Oh, oh, actually, oh. yeah. That that, that's been it's been it's a while sad. since we've seen him in anything but Spy Kids, right? So, bring him that's back. True. Oh, actually, that's really good casting. I, I think, feel like. Yeah, I think Antonio Banderas, but playing all, more or less like his Puss in Boots character. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like, yep. that's it right there. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's he's 55. I just, I just Googled it. Yeah, so he could do it. Go. Good. Okay. Now, is there anybody else that we're feel like we're missing? I think those are really the only three new characters, the one, unless we're talking the about the one that I was going to throw queen. out for you, yeah. Adam, yeah. was the, the, the mom, Humperdinck's hideous wife. Yeah. Uh, it's sad to call her hideous, but you always used to throw her name out there, Rebel Wilson. Oh, her, Rebel Wilson. She's so young. That's different. But I guess that could be the point that he had to marry. That is the point. That well, she's, but she, she kind of plays young. the like, yeah. she can definitely play the like, you know, I don't know. Not, but I mean, know, but we, we, we could old we her up, you know, like we could definitely make her look older. Because all I'm saying is if she's going to have an 18 year old daughter. A thirty-year-old playing oh, an eighteen-year-old daughter—is it feasible uh, that that would work? You know, well, if we're, last week we demusclefied Terry Crews, so I think we could beat <laughs> up. Uh, we can uh, Wilson. That's true. That's true. Actually, well, not that yeah. she's hideous, no, but she no. loves to play the ugly character. Exactly. But Melissa McCarthy—that was the same thing. Too. Okay. Ooh, I love her. I'm just going to put her in everything. Right. The tough thing about that one that I was thinking is I feel like this is almost too small a role for her. Mm. Because she's literally going to be in like the first 10 minutes of the movie and then maybe the end. They would make cameos as the bad guys. Well, it's like the cameo thing. Yeah, well, maybe. I mean, because she's a big enough star that if she made a cameo now, people would be like, oh, Melissa McCarthy was so funny as the queen, and then that would be it. You know, but, like, they'll remember that's her true. being in it. So I think that's a good, that works, because, again, I mean, yeah. Billy Crystal was a pretty big star to make a cameo. Yeah, so exactly. It's, yeah. It's that's good. No, that that's that's good casting, I feel. All right. I also want to see some famous people do cameos as mermaids, because actually, <laughs> like... <laughs> No, I think that makes sense because the first movie had the R.O.U.S.s. It had shrieking eels. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, mermaids. There's mermaids in this world, like obviously. Yeah, so. at some point. So what, that would be. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if we want to go be like the with, conflict with Don Fuego. That's how the conflict with Don Fuego ends. The mermaids come to the rescue. They they yeah. save the day. Okay. Because yeah, because we could or still maybe have he, that maybe split. Maybe like they seduce him or something. Ooh. I just googled Rebel they Wilson. Just, and I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> you want Rebel Wilson over over <laughs> Melissa McCarthy? Well, Melissa McCarthy That'd is so awesome. cute. <laughs> Rebel Wilson's a little crazier looking. She is. <laughs> <laughs> no. But you're right, age-wise, that's definitely. Yeah, Melissa McCarthy makes more sense. So, yeah. all right, but yeah, so mermaids. Who who do who do you want to cast as a, a, a group of mermaids or your favorite female comedians and or just celebrities you want to throw in there? We can't have any mermans. You could have some mermaid. Channing Tatum. Sure. <laughs> Although not all oh, The Kardashians <laughs> as mermaids. Oh, that would, that would be kind of funny. I'd yeah. like that. 
but that 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 would take you totally out to Jeff's point. Like that to right. me, like pulls you out of the world. That doesn't work at all. Um, right. It was the same thing. Like I was thinking to do like a to have like a, a I don't know like a, like a not a reunion, but but to have you know like the the uh, the like salt and pepper or whatever, or to have like well, like what to was me, the name that Beyonce was in. Yeah, I, that was TLC. my first thought. I was like Destiny's Child pops out of the water. Or TLC sings their Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls song. So there's sirens. That's also very taking you out of the yeah, story. That's what I'm saying. Like musical artists, we really don't want in there. We need actual actors or comedians that that can play a role. Well, if you um, want like a fun yeah, if you want a fun duo, then Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, popping out of the water. <laughs> As mermaids. That, that would be funny because they're not like traditionally beautiful. So like it would right. just be great so to see them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would be pretty funny. <laughs> all right. Well, that's good. Yeah, we'll drop them in there. So, all right. Now, as far as like, do we want to call the movie The Pirate Bride then? Is that kind of what we like? Well, except for the, it's not, well, I don't know. because it, The it, Princess Pirate? Yeah, but then that sounds kind of clunky that's to me. Dumb. Yeah, it just doesn't <laughs> but fit. But I, I do agree that like Princess, I think... You know, it depends. Again, if we're going, because usually it seems like little girls that are, would be hearing this story if they're going to be around Fred Savage's age in the first one. So she was what? He was like six, seven, something like that, mm-hmm. maybe eight. Most of those seven, eight-year-old girls don't seem to be that fascinated by brides. I mean, maybe a little, but not as much about princesses. And so that's where, yeah, yeah. If you had a princess. <laughs> but I mean, the pirate princess sound. Uh, may, maybe. I think I think it works. My original like, thought was. It has to be my original thought was just as a sequel to the princess bride, you should do the queen mother, but (laughs) it would have to be about the mother. That's weird. Yeah, that's totally different episode. We gotta go go in a different direction with that. So yeah, so pirate princess or princess pirate? Kristen thinks princess pirate. Yeah, I think of those two, that sounds smoother. Okay. Well, and I think little girls would like it better. <laughs> it's easier to market. Because it's the... a princess pirate. Yeah. Spit-off cartoon on the Disney yeah. Channel. Yeah, for sure. So, and then as far as like uh, poster art, do you guys have a vision in your mind as to how you, you sell this to to that audience or to the, you know, the because it's like you want to make people know that it is the Princess Bride, but I don't think the Princess Bride has iconic poster art or imagery that people think of. So it's like, how do you communicate it's got, that it's like, related? Moments. What if, I mean, again, especially if we're doing the meta thing, what if the main poster was like a book cover? And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm kind of almost picture. I don't remember exactly what the book in the movie looked like, but I'm kind of picturing like the book in Never Ending Story without the little symbol on it. It was just kind of your so standard just, leather bound fairy tale book. Yeah, yeah, it's like a really nice looking book, but it's a book and it's, you know. So it, it would just have a blurb that says from the creators of the Princess Bride or whatever, for the people who brought you the Princess Bride, so everybody knows. The story continues. Or even the book itself could say, you know, from the author that wrote the Princess Bride. So we have to cu- get that William that Goldman back to rewrite it or to give us a oh, new take. Now, my other thought on this is what if – this is just what's popping into my head, but what if there was a ship that's like a pirate ship, but then the book is like in the middle of it that's kind of like taking the place of the mast and the sails? So it's like a ship that's on the sea, but then you have the book sitting in the middle of it. Then it's not, you know, it's a, it would in this case be a giant book on a pirate ship, but 
No. I don't I don't know if I'm behind that. <laughs> so I just know, the book I feel cover. Like, do you remember the page master? Yes. That seems to remind me of the page master. <laughs> Macaulay I'm not Culkin. Sure we want to go that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz well, it was the same thing. I mean, you could have a book that is opened and out of the book comes these things, but then that again, page master. Page master. Yeah. And then okay. I think you should have, you know, there's that iconic kissing scene that you had on your wall i mean even up until the point when we got married that's from xanadu dear that's no, you not had, from didn't the you have another bride. one from the princess bride <laughs> no let's, okay let's apparently they look the, they look <laughs> apparently they look the it, same it was a me. kiss at, at you know at, at sunset. sunset yeah but. so anyway in the princess bride there's that same idea that that's kiss true. at sunset put the and kiss the in the sunset cover? Well, that's on the, the boat. thing. That, that, that is the closest thing that they have to something iconic with some of the yeah. the, the Put it on a boat. Stuff. Bam. Okay. Ooh, you do the same one, but instead of them, I mean, it'd be misleading, but instead of them kissing, it's Melissa McCarthy and Prince Humperdinck. Yeah. <laughs> but it's in silhouette, I, I so how that. would you know? Exactly. Uh. But you would tell. I mean, you can kind of tell. Humperdinck has a very distinctive with his crown and that silly little half cape he wore. I don't know if that has anything <laughs> to do with what we're talking about, though. It doesn't. But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. But I love I mean, it. The kiss didn't really have a whole lot to do with the story either. But that was, was an iconic scene. Scene from the film, but although it could be a funny moment where Humperdinck has to kiss her and it's the whole resisting, like, oh, and so that, you know, they're eight, you're <laughs> referencing that eventually. But okay, now score wise, obviously the movie didn't, you know, has it had a nice score. Do you know who did the score? Does anybody know that? Yes, from Dire Straits. Yeah, Mark Knopfler. Yeah, oh. so we, I think oh. we just bring him back because he did good work. So just let him, you know, money for nothing and your score around? for free. Maybe he'd just do it because he's excited to be a part of it. Oh, he, is he still alive? I think so. I, I didn't know if he was doing stuff. Anymore. No. Drop me to, would you like we me to Google it? it? Yeah, well, we'll find his people. We'll, we'll get a hold <laughs> yeah, of him. Yeah, he's doing stuff. Right. i just looking him up. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I, I think that would be a, a good way to go. And then, but I do think like in the closing credits, you need a song by Josh Groban. So some some type of very you know romantic classic uh, type of song. Yeah, no, Josh Groban. <laughs> he fits what's that role. What's the other role. guy? What's Sam Smith? What does he do? Is that more jazz? Uh, that's more like R and B a bit. Oh, is it? Oh. That wouldn't really fit. I don't know. He just has a name. <laughs> oh well, look for it. He just did the Spectre song. Oh really? Wait, Mark Knopfler or Sam Smith? But yeah, so uh, the pirate princess coming to a theater near you. The princess pirate. Princess pirate. Get it right. <laughs> Everybody's going <laughs> to mix it up. We get, we, we'll have to do a big campaign. Get it right. I, I don't think so. It's the princess pirate. And you can show her, you know, in her princess dress with a, with a sword. It, it'll be great. That'll be awesome. Princess yeah. pirate. No one yeah. will. No one will. Which yeah. also was the cover of Cutthroat Island, I would like to point out. So. Uh-huh. Another movie I haven't seen. Not a Gina Davis fan, dear. You should keep it that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Oh. I, I spent my That's youth rough. reading books. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we want to thank everybody for being with us this episode, especially to Kristen and Judy. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome back anytime. You got an idea for a film? Let us know. We'd love to have you on. Um, So tell us what you thought of our ideas. Go ahead and tweet at us on Twitter at 
sqpod. Uh, you can send us an email, sequelrequestpod at gmail.com. Go ahead and visit the website. You can go to sequelrequestpod.com. Check out the schedule, what's coming up next. And feel free to leave us a review on iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And feel free to tell these gentlemen how lucky they are to have such wonderful wives. <laughs> and with that, we want to wish everybody a happy Valentine's Day. No more rhyming. I mean it. Anybody want a peanut? As you wish. Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. We thank you for joining us for this episode of Sequel Quest P.O.D. We hope you'll return next time when we discuss another film that never was. For more made-up movie fun, visit SequelQuestPod.com to see the schedule of films to be discussed in upcoming episodes, fan art submissions, and more. Follow us on Twitter at SQPod and share your ideas on our Facebook page. The films and characters discussed on SequelQuest POD are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. <laughs>